podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is your weekender, uh, the weekender. It is a packed show. Uh, got people talking FFP, the World Cup. I've got Jonathan Northcroft talking about his book. Uh, we've got other bits and pieces as well for you right the way through this here weekender. But first and foremost, uh, I need to ask you to do this. That is vote for the Anfield Rap in the FSF Awards. I keep forgetting to do it on other shows very irresponsibly, John. Um, so if you go, if you just go to theanfieldrap.com forward slash vote, that will take you through to the link to vote for the Anfield Rap. While That's you're there, clever, isn't it? It's done well there, haven't yeah. they? While you're there, you can vote for Jonathan Northcroft if you want to. You can vote for Jamie Carragher if you want to, and you can choose between Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah, if you must, you must. They only allow you to vote for one. Uh, but do vote for the Anfield Rap, and please ask all of your friends, acquaintances, people you've met once to do so as well, and maybe even push it on the social media. Uh, so that's all asking to win that. Uh, so I hope you're able to do that one for us. Uh, anyway, we're going to get stuck into what's become the key issue uh, around around not just uh, not just the, the, the Liverpool scene, but football as a whole this week has been the idea of paying of the Premier League, whether it's from some funds or from the individual clubs themselves uh, voting for putting the hand in the pocket for £250,000 ahead got to go towards Richard Scudamore's golden goodbye for want of a better way of phrasing it John um, the thing about this is you almost reach the point where you feel as though these people are just able to take the piss um, and it's going to be sound and that's broadly speaking what's going to happen here however bleak that sounds <laughs> it's 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 annoying and it's frustrating and it's in in some ways it's quite a small thing but in other ways it's just an example of of what's gone wrong in football and, and why the society really the idea of, of of leaving your job and being given five million pounds is well you've been perfectly well remunerated yeah it just feels quite mm-hmm. vulgar and as you, as you say yeah it's not like he's been working for free he's been earning a, a lot of money and if look if the Premier League clubs have decided that he's he's earned his salary then then fair play but it's what really kind of sticks, sticks like kind of in your throat. Really, is is the idea of things the football clubs and the Premier League say they don't have money for, and I think, you know, the likes of, of Spirits of Shankly and other fan groups have, have been to the Premier League. They've asked for cheaper away tickets. They've asked for things and been told that that it can't, it isn't possible. But suddenly, you know, that there is kind of money for this, and you know, Liverpool have been have been good recently in terms of supporting things like. You know, Sean Cox's appeal, the, the, the match, what was in the buckets and stuff like that. And, you know, it's good to see how active the foundation is, but it always feels like that money's been sort of scratched around for. And, and you know, you, you've sort of always got to go with your begging bowl, really. And, and you know, but then there's money for this. And, and grassroots football is really, really struggling. And the Premier League don't support it enough. They probably don't even support the lower leagues enough, if, if we're all honest. You know, if you, you speak to people at Accrington and stuff like that, and, and, you know, the Premier League was set up so they didn't have to share and it was set up out of greed. That the hope, that's why it is, it is in existence, the Premier League, because they didn't want to. And, you know, that's, that's something that, that, that we're not going to change that around this room. And, and it's, it's almost not even the biggest symbol of it. It's just a reminder. And it's, as you say, they're just, it's just so kind of open and so transparent and it's so annoyingly so. And it's so kind of, sorry, I'm going to let someone else talk in a minute, but I just feel like, they just don't care what we think and they're just going to do it anyway. It is, Keep it O'Neill. I agree with you, John. It's absolutely vulgar. I just feel like it's a... Right, if they said we're all all the Premier League clubs agree to give 250000 to them all leaving, but give it to like a social issue, like so Liverpool could give it to the food banks, Everton might give it to something else and then that would be like something, no more of a legacy creating something. They could build houses or anything, you know, for people destitute. They could do so much to help people who are, you know, struggling. And I just feel like 
oh, I don't know. That's that is what's wrong with we say modern football because mm. you know. You could even, I've seen someone tweet, like, take £10 off every ticket for, like, a game or something, you know. Just just do something good with it rather than fill someone's pocket, just one individual. You know, this money could actually benefit people in such an important important ways. The initial suggestion, SOS statements, the initial suggestion that clubs would each put in a quarter of a million pounds was rightly met with derision and anger, Mo. The derision and anger doesn't really matter. Because they're going to do what they're going to do anyway, and that to me is the is the is at the core of this. That we can we can have the chat, we can say you know mm-hmm. we can say oh you could give it to food banks, we can we can we we, we can say whatever we want, uh, but it gets met with derision and anger, and they'll just go ahead and do it anyway. And it's not like they don't know that we're going to have these exact same conversations. It's not like they didn't exactly know what this would cause. That whole the the nakedness of the capitalism involved in it and something you tweeted a couple of days ago which really kind of sunk in for me is that not so much that this is money for Scudamore but this is a message to Susanna Dinage in as much as look what will happen if you look after us and that whole idea that's the bit that stinks the most for me because it's not just about what's happening now it's laying the foundations for this to keep happening again and again and you're right Neil they don't care whether or not they don't fear us as a group of people the fans they don't fear us leaving the game because they know we're too attached to the game and they they haven't reached a point yet where we will say okay this is enough that's happened the only time i can ever think of that happening in recent times is the Anfield walkout that was a moment where we all collectively said you know what this is our line. This is not going to happen. We're actually going to start not watching our football team because of this. We believe it. And that works. And I really hope that that's not the only thing that works in the future. But up until that point, that they don't they don't fear us. They really don't. Uh, John, for me, I think, it's a, I think it should be taken as confirmation that football can't police govern itself efficiently or effectively. And it's really interesting to do this today because, you know, for two years, effectively, Parliament has been basically stuck with reference to the fact that it's, it's taken up with the, with the core political issue of the age, which isn't going anywhere anytime soon, even now. But for me, the only way in which this fixes itself, and it's not just this issue, it's across the board. The, there's so many issues. We've talked about safe standing. We've talked about drinking inside to the ground. We've talked about the fact that football's still governed by legislation, excuse me, from the 1980s. You can talk about issues surrounding the women's game. You can talk about racial issues within football, sexual orientation issues within football. All of these things need looking at. And for me, now it's people can write to the clubs and they can you know make make protests and I wouldn't I would never say to anybody that's a waste of time I don't believe that I don't believe that it is but football is not fit uh, to govern itself the top clubs in football are not fit to govern themselves they can't be trusted and if we want to say it's the national game then at some sort of point there's got to be legislative and parliamentary oversight which also includes parliament looking at its own legislation yeah, I think so. And I think, look, the Premier League have tried to sort of separate themselves so they just have to look after each other and it just has to be this, you know, idea of let's sort of make as much money as possible. But it just feels just wrong that there's so much money in the game and yet so many aspects of it are struggling. Like there's, there's kids' teams folding because they can't afford fees or pitch fees or, or kits or the pitches aren't in a good enough state. So my friends, a lot of their lads are play football uh, and they're playing on pitches and basically you get to the point now where they won't play again until February because every week it just gets called off because the pitches aren't on an estate and there should be there should be 4G pitches in every, in every city. But 
because clubs have got academies now. They're like, well, why do we care about about the, whether this ten year old can play football? Because if he was any good, he'd be at us. Yeah. And I think that's that's the kind of academy attitude, really. And it's wrong because well, it's. I mean, I'm going to make it. I nearly made the football reviews, and I nearly said, well, he might develop at twelve. But it's wrong just because it's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong because yeah. I don't need to like you know make this. Hard. You know, you feel like you're almost. Sound the national game or it's yeah, not. Yeah, you know, and you're almost appealing to the worst people in the world in, in language they can understand. Whereas really, you know, they they should be they should be coming around to your way of thinking which is that it's a good thing if people are playing football at any level even if they're rubbish and it's a good thing that that people are sort of you know getting out and enjoying the game in any possible way they can and that might be being able to afford tickets where they can't so it might be being able to have a proper game of football that's not just in in you know streets which which have all got no ball signs up up and out anyway and it just it just sort of angers me really that I don't want football to become something that's just just watched on the telly or it's just YouTube compilations or something. It should be something that's that's played and enjoyed and and participates in in every possible level. And you know, we were talking before about people who don't necessarily care about us. And it's unless we can find a way to to weaken their product. That's so. When we walked out, they didn't care about whether we were going to turn up again next week. It was how it looked on the telly. Mm. That's all they were really worried about. When we walked out, it was like, oh, that looks a bit. That, that doesn't look great. We market these fans, and now they're all there. But but financially, they don't have to worry about us as much now because Richard Scudamore's done all these brilliant deals for them, and so you just you just sort of you know you I don't know you just sort of feel like you you're not even patronised anymore. They're, they're just openly mm-hmm. like antagonistic, and they're like, "Well, what are you going to do?" Well, the, the uh, appointment of Susanna Dinage says that more than anything else because. Fair enough, she's not going to be taking on all the responsibilities of Scooter will have. There's going to be slightly split jobs. But she's the main headline appointment, and her career is entirely TV. 10 years of discovery, starting up Channel 5, Channel 4, uh, doing deals with Sky or with or against Sky. It's all about TV. That's her in entire history of work. So when you're looking at what they were looking for within the clubs, they were looking for someone who's going to be able to keep the cash cow of TV's deals going. That's all that they care about. Everything else is going to be secondary. And so when you've got them openly making that decision here and now and not really being able to deny it, because yes, they've quoted uh, her as being a Fulham fan. I'm sure there's going to be some interviews where we're going to see more about what she does know about football. But we haven't heard that yet. Mm -hmm. And it's been a week. So surely that part isn't as important to them. It's it's an exhausting conversation. It's one that will will go on. Uh, it is draining. I'll say again, it's, uh, it's exactly the sort of thing that you have part you have politicians for. It's a shame they're very very busy with something that they really shouldn't have to be this busy with. Uh, but frankly, uh, but even then, it takes a lot of political will to make any uh, sector of society be opened up and genuinely examined. But it is the only thing that solves football now. I think you can have all the campaigns rightly, as I say, about things like safe standing that you want. But it's safe standing is one example of one very 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 small issue around the entire of football where there's loads and loads of small issues and so therefore you can conclude there is a massive issue with the way football is governed uh, within this country and it will only be fixed with external oversight and governance procedures uh, in there. These people cannot be allowed or trusted to police themselves anymore. VAR then. Um, <laughs> uh, referee's given us something. Uh, Kiever occasionally is the hope. Uh, Spurs remain uh, having had more penalties at Anfield in the league this calendar year than Liverpool. I'm basically only in it for Liverpool to get Genuinely, I've not even got like I still haven't even got enough of a view on the whole VAR thing. I thought it, you could see how it could work during the World Cup. You could see how it might not work uh, at times during the World Cup. You're not going to know until the, it's, it's clear as to how they're going to go about it. I'm just thinking we might get a pen. Yeah, I think you always feel aggrieved, don't you, when you've scored and it's an offside goal or 
you know, you haven't got a pen. But then at the World Cup, you sort of go a bit mad and, like, any someone was just touching someone's shoulder. They were going down. It was like, yeah, well, there was contact, so there's a penalty. So, yeah, obviously, I'm just in it for the penalty pool shout, and that is it. Obviously, if it goes negatively against you, it's you, you're going to, like, over the course of a season, probably benefit from it equally in terms of people will get awarded penalties against you and vice versa. So, you know, it's, it is it it is a good thing, but at the same time, you kind of don't want it because, like, I don't know, it just, it just, so can it's I just it's ask a, such a difficult one. Almost like hands in the air. Does anyone feel that strongly about it one way or another? Because a lot of people do, but I don't think, and this is when people sometimes say, oh, you should have had someone on the show who thinks this. Well, we didn't know this was going to come out today and this was booked a week ago. This mm-hmm. who's going to be in the studio right now. So do any of the three of you feel particularly strongly about I it? I don't like it. You don't like it? No, I think that the West Brom game where we, we had it and the FA Cup was awful. And it was, it just turned it into a bit of a joke. And I came out the ground, I loved the FA Cup, and I came out the ground like not that bothered mm-hmm. that we've been knocked out. And I think it was because the whole thing just seemed such a farce. It sort of didn't seem real. And, you know, I think we had a particular bad experience of it because there was so much VAR. It was VAR in your face, you know, wasn't yeah. it? It was like, you know, they, they VAR their heads off. <laughs> and so, like, I think we were like, you know, we this thing we weren't used to. And suddenly, I think it goes back to sort of a similar point to the Premier League one, which is that it feels like football for people who aren't in the ground and, and they're making it, you know, they say they're trying to make it fairer. And I think... You know, I understand that as a, as a thing. I think it's I think it's hard, but I don't understand it as a thing. But I think when people's at home, his experience gets better than the people in the ground. And you're standing around not knowing what's mm-hmm. going on, and they're getting all these replays and blah blah blah. It just kind of feels wrong to me. And I think as well, I just think the ambitions of it are, are unrealistic. Like people can't decide if if that uh, if the the. Defender from the weekend was offside or not? Who do you play Fulham? Fulham. People can't decide if, if, that, if that Fulham goal should have stood or not. There's people arguing over that's an offside. That's like just a straight line. We're, we're judging it, and people are going, "Oh yeah, but is he leaning all the way?" So it's so trying to trying to get more more right mm. decisions when when people can't even agree on replays. I think some realistic. So I think you're making the game worse for some for a benefit that I'm not sure is there. See, I can see. And I've always been able to see both sides, but the more we've lived with it, the more I've been able to see the kinks. And I think the fundamental flaw with it is that if we are understanding it as we're trying to get everything right, because we're not going to be able to get everything right, that part is unattainable. Getting more obvious wrong things right, that's some that's an attainable aim. And I, again, I relate it back to cricket. They always talk about getting rid of the howlers. So the times where it's really obvious someone's made a bad mistake. Yeah. For example, the Sterling penalty where he could just kick the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those kind of incidents. That it can work for. But I do 100% agree with you, John. I think one of the fundamental parts that they have to put in is they have to make it so the people in the ground are able to see and understand what's going on. Do they need, to use the cricket comparison, do they need the facility for umpire's call? Do they need to find a way to do that? That's yeah. the thing that I think, I think that should. Yes. But, but the thing I'm always, I think cricket have probably done it as well as anybody, but it's worth pointing out, maybe rightly, but the impact it has on spin bowling. The idea that suddenly there's so many more LBWs. Yeah, both yeah. getting given straight away and then getting given retrospectively that I, I think there could well be a period where where everyone's got to almost work out what a penalty is again from scratch, and I'm that's and like to the extent I think it could profoundly change the game. To I be think, honest, yeah, because, yeah. Because I think it, you know one of the things I think it throws open is literally the shape and the size of the penalty area. 
that you know you can innocuously do something on the edge of the penalty area in one of the corners, and for a foul in that part of the the pitch, a penalty can get given, which is a direct shot with no one in the way from twelve yards out. So one of the things I think is, does the penalty area need to become a semicircle? So okay. you know what I'm like because if 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 that because this could be the, the uh, what I think about VAR, and I'm as I say, I'm, I'm still sort of on the fence, and I can see John's points, and I, I can see what you're saying, Mo. But one of the places I end up with it is. I don't think things just stop with that. I think if that has the sort of impact where you're getting many more penalties a game, we need to go back to the, the basics of what's a sufficiently bad enough offence in that mm. area of the pitch to mean that someone gets one shot on goal from 12 yards with no one in the way. I think that's a really real fear, and I think you're right, in as much as the umpires, the call DRS has changed the way people play cricket, the way cricket is actually a game. And I do think that what we would see initially is a lot more penalties, a lot more red cards, and that's going to cause a Set problem. Set pieces are going to be interesting, aren't they? Especially corners, the amount of holding and stuff going well, the, on. And- this is it. I mean, the, the, but that's a really good example because that's the kind of thing that every year we say, oh God, are they gonna, ever going to sort that out? Yeah. And then there'll be what basically Mike Dean and a couple of his other mates will all get all tight on it for about two months and we'll all be disgusted it and then they'll go away again. With this, the idea where people say, oh, well, if we're going to give penalties for that, there's going to be 10 penalties every game. There might be 10 penalties every game, but then we get to see what happens next. Because that's always the thing with that argument, isn't it? It's that people say, oh, well, we don't want that, so we'll, let's obviously not do that. But if we're going to end up with that, we might see the well, maybe, maybe they will actually just, you know, stop holding. But then the flip side of that is, do we want a game that is decided more so from set pieces? Genuinely, point. is that what we want from our football? Yeah. Do, yeah. Is that what? So you know, if, if do we how valuable do we think corners should be? I mean, Kiva, you know, how valuable should how many? At the minute, you score from about one in forty corners. If you're good, you score from about one in twenty-five. If you're shit, you score from about one in sixty. How many corners? How many corners should you need to get a goal? It's just bizarre, isn't it? I, I think it's like it'll definitely slow the game down. But like, I'm very much on the fence. Like, you just kind of, you see the benefits from it and then you see just the things where it's going to, like being a fan in the stadium would completely ruin it because, you know, the ref's over looking at this little TV screen and you're thinking what's going on. So you'd need big screens and stuff. Yeah. I don't mind it in like the FA Cup and that maybe, you know, because it's like something different then, isn't it? But then does that make it a different sport? Almost. I didn't mind it in the World Cup because the World Cup's just sort of like everyone's watching on telly anyway. And I say that's someone who's been to a World Cup. (laughs) And so been in the ground and you sort of know that you're just there to, I don't know, be a bit colourful. World Cup, they're always going to have screens as well. Exactly, yeah. And to World Cup sort of footy is sort of telly footy and you sort of Mm. accept that whether you're there or not. This, I don't know. And I just sort of part of me thinks, do you know what, footy's fine. And like, do we always, always have to like, oh, can we improve this by like half a percent? Maybe we've just nailed it. There are ulterior motives for VAR <laughs> as well, let's not forget, because obviously there are going to be certain places where they're screening these TV games, where they're going to use this opportunity to go for an extra ad break. Oh yeah, it's going to be sponsored too. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, I mean, it, it would be interesting. I doubt that that would happen Spectators. in England in particular. The possibilities yeah. are endless. But we are more accurate than this Swiss I, watch. <laughs> Richard, give you a call. (laughs) (laughs) But no, in in all seriousness, I do think that there is a way it can be worked out where if we set the parameters properly, it can be an effective tool to help. But the problem is, is that, like you say, Neil, 
if if it works in certain areas, it's going to be um, a clamour to extend it further and further. And once you get past into the real murky subjective things, that's when it starts to get trouble because there's still going to be subjectiveness. I mean, I've been watching it a lot in Italy where they've used it and you can definitely tell that the, the different interpretations by the different referees are still coming into play even when they're sitting in the VAR studio. So that part of it is never really going to change. And if people are using that as the argument for it, then obviously that's futile because I'll say it's never going to change. But if they, we can say, okay, for these particular sets of situations and with these situ- particular sets of rules, it can be done. Okay, uh, thank you very much to Mo to Kiva and to John. We've got a packed show coming up. There's been someone called Steve Morris very soon about uh, Football Flash, an app he's been working on, which we think will be interesting for you. Uh, we're also speaking to Jonathan Northcroft about his book, which off the, off the top of my head is called uh, Deadlines and Dartboards with Deli Alley. Uh, it's his World Cup diary. It is great. The book is the absolute business. Uh, but just after this, I'm going to be talking to Kieran Maguire, Kieran Maguire, uh, about Manchester City, financial fair play, the issues that are thrown up from that. And we get, we get quite philosophical. Philosophical, but you'd expect nothing less. It's your weekender. Red's bet. Uh, we're with Red's bet for the whole of 2018. Really proud to be with them. Uh, they're doing some really good stuff through the fans' bet arm and the Red's bet arm as well, but fans' bet arm right the way across the country. So thank you very much to them. Uh, if you are going to gamble, think about doing it through them. Uh, 50% of their losses go to fans related initiatives and causes. Uh, it says share the glory on the website. And indeed, that is the aim of the people who are behind it. They're trying to do the very best uh, within this specific model. But if it isn't for you, it isn't for you. And that's fine as well. And always be gamble aware. It's the last thing anyone wants, that sort of thing. Um, got one for you. Go on. And I, I did it last week, and, and I didn't have takers. Well, I didn't, I didn't. So, Liverpool to go and beat at home for the whole season, 3-1. to one. Yeah. 3-1. to one. I think that's a good bet, because obviously City's gone, and they're the, they're the hardest one. And and we, we've drawn that, so that's sort of gone. And I feel like... My thing is that we're going to drop points at some points against a team that we're meant to beat and everyone's got to keep their heads. So that's that's my big concern for the season generally. Uh, what it's one of my concerns for the season generally is that at some points, maybe over Christmas or whatever, we're going to have to say someone at home that we Newcastle come on Boxing Day and they scrape a nil-nil. Yeah, and then we've got to sort of keep our heads when that happens. But the idea of a team beating us, I think is... It's not unlikely, but I think it's... it's I think 3 to one's good odds is what I'm saying. So, hold that. Liverpool to go unbeaten all season. 33-1. to one. <laughs> I think... Oh, I was going to say it feels like a push, but 33 to one's a tempter. Like, I don't know, you're going to say like 16s or something. They, they deliberately set the results to, they it, to they they, me. Um, the professionals. Because, where we got to go? City. I'm City, yeah. Got to go to City. We've got to go to Old Trafford. We've got Old United Trafford. at home. We've got the Derby home and away. Last season we got beat at Swansea. It's yeah. worth saying that every team can throw one in. Yeah, it's just it's that I don't. It's it's really hard. Like it, there's a reason the Invincibles is a big thing, isn't it? It's like it's it's really really difficult. And I think uh, I think it might just be a little a bridge too far. But but thirty threes has got me. Well, thirty threes. My thing on that is that there's an argument, and you know I'm not I'm not I'm not not a professional at this, and it is meant to tempt you, and that's part of the point of the enterprise. You know, let's be honest about this. We are still whilst Reds better lovely in that we are still dealing with a bookmaker here. But there is an argument to sort of whack twenty 
20 quid on the three to one and I'm a whack a tenner on the 33. <laughs> Isn't that, you know what I mean? No, there is that yeah. sort of, the, you know, so you, yeah. because if the 33, if the 33 came off, I mean, I think, you know, there's an argument we could go the whole season unbeaten. Man City could not go the whole season unbeaten and they could still get eight more points than us. Yeah, of course. That's yeah. every chance that could happen. All right. There's, that's, that's that specific little bit of attempt to there uh, for you. I uh, did the Gutman stuff against Fulham, by the way. Did you? Yeah, because I missed the Red Star one, which so was annoyed at myself because I did Red Star at home. And then I didn't do it away, and, and Josh did it and, and got paid, so I did it for Fulham, yeah, because they were 20 to 1 to beat us. So you just thought, so yeah, sod it, yeah. Um, Joe, it's only a five, and I get that, I get that back off of Rob's wine at half time, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you very much do. Um, Jordan Henderson to score or assist on Liverpool to win versus the United States. Uh, whenever that game is, that could be tonight. So this might be irrelevant. Uh, sorry, listeners. Um, I'm not. When do England play? This honestly, yeah, honestly, mate. This this Rooney <laughs> testimonial thing. I mean, we've just got slot stuck into the Premier League up there. But this, the idea of and the way in which so many of the of the national journalists have gone. Well, I don't see what the big deal is, including you know people we've had on the show, people who I'm sam with, and think on the whole are very very sensible. I just sort of think well, you can say you don't really think what the big deal is, but then don't be telling me to ever care about international football an international football match ever again. I think journalists are funny though, aren't they? Like the the very kind of moralistic. They love they love like a, I don't know. I think this this feels to some people like the right thing to do, and so and so that's why that's why they're sort of into it. And the idea of you know paying paying respects and and dues and and getting kind of just rewards and stuff like journalists are, are kind of very into you know these these kind of moral crusades that they kind of get themselves on. I think it does fit into that kind of whole kind of you know of, of the, this he's he's kind of deserving of this and you know and there's the, the chat that they do it abroad as well so it's a bit continental it just I don't know it seems a bit kind of strange to me in that one minute to tell you these things are important and then the next they're just making a bit of a farce of it really so I think there's like a little bit of that but you know it'll be nice to see him see how he's getting on oh yeah 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 <laughs> you know what I mean can pop round on that, Carney. Uh, <laughs> knock on some doors, all of that sort of stuff. Anyway, there is uh, our heads a little bit for this week. Uh, no Aldo, sadly, uh, he'll be back in. He'll be back in the favourites. Uh, I'll guarantee that for you right now. Uh, and thank you very much to John Gibbons. Kieran Maguire, a football finance expert from the University of Liverpool's management school, joins us to talk about the De Spiegel allegations, specifically in relation to Manchester City, which have emerged across the last couple of weeks. I think the first thing, Kieran, to to put over to our listeners. Is firstly that this is this is hugely complex, and also it's a reminder that there's no set of rules, absolutely no set of rules, almost philosophically, that can be set up in any sort of area of society, almost where if you've got enough money and enough will, you can not create grey areas. Yeah, I think that's a very valid comment. If you look to see what's what's happened with City, um, they they've threatened at times with very expensive lawyers to to take on UEFA who made the rules to say whether whether or not those rules were in fact inappropriate in the first place um and then doesn't matter what the nature of the law is there's very very few things in life which are black and white so the reason why they've got expensive lawyers and expensive accountants working for them is that they will find the gray areas which you can argue and haggle about and use as a means of trying to defer or or refute the, the the accusations which are being made is there also a further a further more complex sort of question here again almost thinking philosophically first before we delve into the specifics in terms of the fact that der spiegel is a german paper the way 
Germany sees its sporting activities and the way it structures its rules and regulations around its football clubs is different to how England, the English FA, and the, which in turn is different to UEFA, English society is different again. And then we've also got the, the, the Middle East links with Manchester City. So you've almost got, on top of everything else, on top of what is literally the legal framework here, you've almost got four different, four different sort of conflicting philosophies of, of how we almost view fair play or also coming into coming into focus very much so i mean germany is very much a rule-based society but also if, if you look at the the uh, the, the history and, and the structure of football in germany they have a rule where no overseas investor can own more than 49 percent of a club because yeah. they want it to be german football and the Ger- german fans have a much more central role within the game than than has happened here uh you know but that that's part of uh you know british the British style that we invest hugely overseas and we encourage people from overseas to invest in this country. And as a result, yeah, effectively two thirds of the Premier League is owned or controlled by, by foreign vehicles. So it, it, it's very it, it is it's a microcosm of, of something which is much greater. Um, and as you rightly put out, and, and there's there, there's there are hidden agendas because people rightly or wrongly ha- have issues with with the thought of Middle Eastern investors. And, and they can they can then start to look at the the human rights records of those countries and, and use that as a vehicle to sort of Manchester City as sort of a, as an intermediary to have a go at the countries themselves. So. In this, this specific stuff that's come out of the Spiegel, the first thing to point out is that UEFA did fine Manchester City £49 million for the breaches in 2013. They imposed transfer and wage caps as well, which appear, and appear is complex in this, we've discussed the grey areas, but appear to have applied them um, and then had the, the refund of the fine in terms of the sort of initial terms of that punishment. Where we now move into grey areas is... Uh, a lot of what we can sort of call perhaps creative accountancy here as to where all the bits and pieces of money have come from, uh, how how Manchester United, so Manchester City, sorry, have paid the bills, paid not just these fines, but the ongoing sort of running costs that they incur year on year. And it's these areas where the De Spiegel sort of revelations lie. That's that's correct. And I think there's a further issue in that nobody's actually seen the the file that UEFA had on Manchester City. So it could be that these issues have already been dealt with in arriving at the fine of 60 million euros or 49 million pounds that you've already referred to. If this is, however, is fresh information, then that on the face of it would warrant a new uh, a new chapter to be opened in, in this particular story. And it would warrant uh, UEFA uh, getting their inspectorate to to go and check the, these issues. Um, I've, I've got to be honest, having looked at the the content myself, there, there is nothing that, that was shown in Der Spiegel um, in terms of the main revelations that, that I wasn't able to pick up from just getting out my laptop and going online uh, to, to companies' house here in the UK. So I think you've got to be a little bit cautious um, in terms of some of these allegations. Um, broadly, what, what the, 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 the fingers that are pointing at Manchester City is that they've been claiming to, to generate more money than perhaps realistically they should have generated. And some of the costs of running the club have been mysteriously paid from, from third parties, which meant that uh, cities, cities' profits were higher than, than they would have otherwise have been the case. The other thing as well is the the, the idea of the, the the interest they've got in New York, Melbourne, Tokyo, and now Uruguay, that there's, there is the way in which costs can be allocated in different ways because because this is quite an intricate web that's been built up around Manchester City themselves. is something which, again, I think is is 
adds another layer of complexity to this, which again for the for the casual sort of football viewer, football watcher, whether they support Liverpool, even whether they support Manchester City, it's the sort of thing that that can can seem very very dull, but which could actually be at the centre of of, of of how Manchester City may may being the key word here, uh, be, be, I've I've done some things that they shouldn't have done. Yes, I mean, it, you say yeah, they shouldn't have done. They, they 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 have certainly allocated costs to the sort of the the city group, um, and they see the the multi club approach as 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 a as a means of running a business. And in any other business, you'd say, well, that would be that would be an appropriate way to run it. Uh, you know, the nature of football is that we're so tribal, we're so parochial that. Uh, you know, the thought of my club or your club owning another club in Uruguay, it feels alien to us because we, we've been bought up on the on the pie and bovril mentality of, you know, t- you know coming up on the terraces and, and supporting our club thick and thin. And, and the whole point about it was that it was just our club and there was no interference and there was no dilution of, of everything to do with the football club. That, that those days have gone, um, and what we what we now see is football to to many owners investors. It is a business, um, and that does give you scope to run it in in ways that other businesses are run, are run. But that's going to cause angst and aggravation with football fans. But it's not just the way that Manchester City have done it. I mean, uh, Barcelona uh, they 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 produced their their financial yep. results yesterday, um, and and they're paying wages you know two hundred million pounds in excess of of Liverpool. They're paying them far in excess of of, of Manchester City and Manchester United. Um, yeah, and nobody's pointing a finger at them, and yet they're running a basketball club as well as a football club. So we're starting to see unusual business models being applied to what we want to see as football purists, which which is our game. Is the end sort of result of this? Because there isn't seemingly a smoking gun. There isn't seemingly anything that's come out of the Spiegel thing where it's it's quite clear that literally anyone's acted in a manner which is either illegal full stop or directly in contravention of the rules that we didn't already know about. But isn't sort of the part of of what's what makes this also tawdry almost. It's almost a tawdry thing more than anything else, isn't it really? The idea that there is a there's a skewing of competition, that there's that somewhere within the scenes that the, the, the competition that you see isn't just on the pitch and maybe and what worries football supporters, football commentators, people who are, who love the game, is that maybe the competition that you see on the pitch is in fact completely Overwhelmed and, and and is a product of the competition that's ongoing off the pitch. That that that, that this cleverness, that cleverness that we can almost refer to as boardroom cleverness, is going to decide outcomes of football matches or football seasons more so than eleven lads between the age of twenty and thirty-two versus another eleven lads between the ages of twenty and thirty-two. I think that's a very appropriate point. To me. No matter who you support, when when you go to a match on a Saturday, um, you've got that that hope. And and it is always you know as a football fan it's the hope that kills you that that, that ruins your whole weekend and often a Monday and a Tuesday as well. Um, and if if we've now come to the position whereby the sheer weight of money and money's always been an influence in the game. You know, it doesn't matter if you go back forty or fifty years that was the case. Yeah. But there was always the the opportunity for you know, I I can remember the likes of Derby County and Nottingham Forest and Aston Villa effectively coming from nowhere. Um. To, to be able to win the, the, the top division, that's not going to happen again. Now, people will point out Leicester City. Le- Leicester City was just a lightning bolt. It 
it was the big clubs had taken their eye off the ball. Leicester had an awful lot of luck. They had no injuries that season. Um, and they recruited two or three players who played out of their skin. Um, and, and it was it was wonderful in so many ways. And I think you know, people, are, so it, it, it does give you, so it's, it's like, a bit like believing in Father Christmas all over again, um, what, what happened with Leicester. But the, the big clubs have now ensured that that will not happen again. And what we're tr- I think we're now seeing is that the two Manchester clubs are trying to spend so much money that they're trying to make it a two-horse race. Now, the, the good thing, which has happened to that to a certain extent, is that what we've seen at Manchester United have shown that, that spending money and spending money well are, are two completely different things. And, and that's given Liverpool an opportunity this season to compete with Manchester City. But I think even the most diehard Red probably feels deep in their hearts that they're probably competing for second place with Chelsea this season. Just lastly on this, there's a the 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 inter country thing is also a factor here. You know, it's it's fair to say that that you know German clubs compete with Manchester City. They compete with them for players. They compete with them for sponsorship deals. They compete with Liverpool for that. Manchester Manchester United for that. They compete directly on the pitch as well. Do you think that this is likely to be an ongoing thing we're going to see through through media, through revelations, through you know full stop? The that that, that this that as football gets bigger and bigger and and the bigger clubs do become almost forces in their own right. We're going to see the you know that 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 we're going to see sort of heft come into play here because because what Manchester City does does in fact directly impact what Bayern Munich does what Borussia Dortmund does yes I mean and I think uh, if you especially if you look at German German clubs that they've not had the same type of money as as those in the Premier League so they've not been particularly happy about it so they would have been absolutely delighted about certain aspects about these revelations from Der Spiegel I suspect they'll be less keen on the the European Super League and and sort of the implications for Bayern Munich there Um, but some of the loudest voices that we've seen have been coming from Spain and La Liga and yet if you if you take a look at the top 10 football clubs you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona far far ahead of any other clubs in Europe when it comes to playing wages so they, they they're being very selective so there is certainly a, an element of I wouldn't say nationalism but they, they are using the, the they're using their country as a means of uh, attacking the, the, the way that football is organized in other countries okay uh, we will speak again uh, we will speak again uh, with Kieran uh, over the next uh, few weeks about these matters and other matters arising uh, from the way in which football's or- organised on a financial side. Thank you very much to him indeed. Next up on the weekender, uh, well, John, how we've been abreast of Liverpool news across the last couple of weeks, really. We've been using an app called Football Flash and we've got the man behind the app in to join us. Yeah, Steve. Me, well, me and Steve have been chatting about sort of work stuff for a, for a month or so, but it's, it's funny realising that our paths have crossed quite a bit over the over the last few years. Talking about kind of obviously, uh, Steve's a big Liverpool fan, but was present at the early spirits of Shankly meetings and stuff like that. Where there uh, when, when when you were on stage doing your bit, Neil. Yep. And then um, we saw each other in Kiev, but um, I think very short hello because I was having a row at the time. I think was it like you you were having a row with Paul Cope. <laughs> a lot of people wear that day, Steve. <laughs> Uh, about goalkeepers. Yeah, I think it may have been. I think if it may have been, but but foolishly because I was a big fan of the Anfield rap, I was kind of you know watched all you guys. So I think, well, I know all these guys. You know, they're my friends. Yeah. So I sort of well, I wandered up to you. and I said, "All right, lads." And you looked at me as I say, 
beautiful game. <laughs> 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 it happened, it course, happens a lot. And of course, I realise they've no idea who I am, so so that's fine, you know. But um, it does, it does so happen I wasn't, a lot. I wasn't, um, I wasn't in any shape or form offended by that. Um, it was the look on your face. It was a bit like kind of asking a kind of. Four year olds who explain differential calculus, you know, it was <laughs> well, that's, that's part two. Yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah, so that was that was quite entertaining, yeah. But, um, but this is the bizarre thing about kind of uh, because I've been a fan of the you know, the Anfield rap, um, uh, you know, and, and I was sure an awful lot of the listeners are the same. Mm. You sort of regard you guys as being like almost like friends, yeah. you know, so you sort of, um, so you, you know, and, you know, we're all keenly interested in everybody's opinion, you know, to do with the Anfield rap. And, and it's, um, I'm delighted to be part, you know, we, we've managed to engage it as sort of marketing partners. Really. Yeah. You know, a lot down to the, uh, to the fact that sort of like common values I think we have. Yeah. Which I think go back to the common values of Liverpool Football Club, really, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, um, uh, I might point out that, by the way, I am 64 years old, so I'm not a young man. <laughs> and my first Liverpool game, I think, was against West Ham in 1970 in Anfield. And um, I was I took along by one of my best mates, who was a hardcore Liverpool fan. He said, oh, Steve, you love it, you love it, you love it. And uh, we're on the cop. And uh, it wasn't the best game in the world. Um, uh, we ended up winning 2-0, I think, I think. Chris Lawler scored none at eighty something minutes or whatever, you know. And he was he was my mate Doug, who's sadly passed away now. He's his favourite player. My dad's favourite player. Sorry, my dad's favourite player as well, Chris Lawler. Yeah, yeah, no, he was a fan's favourite. He was, yeah, you know, he's a very he's a very quiet man, but uh, he was he was he was a fabulous fabulous footballer. He really was. And I think I just fell in love with Liverpool, and I fell in love with the cup, and I fell in love with Shankly, and just the whole thing of it. And uh, that kind of just collective endeavour, that sense of community, I just kind of fell in love with it. And and really kind of, um, there wouldn't be a Liverpool football club without Bill Shankly. And, he's, and he was a, a hardcore, um, proud socialist. And he understood the city. Mm-hmm. And he understood the people. And he understood the value of football. And he understood the value of community, you know, kind of... and. Um, uh, and I kind of fell in, you know, I was born in Birkenhead, but I fell in love with Liverpool, really, from that day on. You know, as really as, as the whole kind of entity of what it was. I like that, uh, that, that idea, that, that going right the way back there, that Birkenhead and Liverpool were in some way distinctly separate, which I know some people still sort of try to say that they are and all <laughs> that, that sort of stuff, you know. but it's, no, no, it's an old vibe that, that sort of gets overlooked, the, uh, the divide of the river. But, you know, I think that it's, it's something which, well, you're, you're more than will curious these days. You're, you're a full convert. I've been using, you, you came to us then to sort of have a chat about, about your, your app, Football Flash. And, I've been using it all week. I've been using it for longer than all week, but all week in particular, sort of this week, grabbing grabbing stories off it. And it looks like you're very much trying to trying to find good ways for football supporters to just get the information that they need to collate that all into one. It's I've really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. It's been <clears throat> it's been underpinning everything I've been talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Well, um, uh, yeah, yeah. We you know we we think it's a great app. It it, it can get better. Is the the whole business is kind of predicated on kind of you know get better the values thing. But we don't want to, um, you know, the, the app doesn't cost anything. It's anonymous. We don't track anything that anybody does. We don't, you know, kind of, it's a whole different proposition for the way people should access stuff. And also what we're trying to do here as part of a broader kind of ambition as a technology company, we're trying to help the, the news industry, uh, which actually you become part of now. 
really, yeah. you guys. And the whole kind of, you know, football kind of podcast world has become part of that. Um, and it's essential for kind of any democracy or any kind of power structure to be held to account. And with the failure of the kind of news industry, then then we're, we're trying to help them, you know. So we've got bigger ambitions for it rather than just being a news app. Yeah. So, um, and we've got some clever ways of monetizing it when we think bringing it in further down, which will reward the the news providers. So the people who provide the content, people like yourselves, people like the Guardian, people like Trinity Media Group or whatever, you know. So um, where the world's going, you know, it's going to Ellen Ancart, what with Donald Trump and Brexit and fake news and all the rest of it, you know. We're trying to do something about it. We've got another app due to come out in a month or so's time, which is uh, tied up with it as part of a common common theme, which is uh, we believe is the antidote to the beginning of the antidote to fake news. So so our whole ambition really is is to kind of save genetically the news industry so, so that, you know, kind of um, governments can be held to account because they're not at the moment at all and we're all being badly served by an abysmal government you know kind of and that's and that's a common theme across across the world sadly so uh yeah so football slash you know is part of it we don't want to it's the fun bit <laughs> it's the fun bit yeah that's right so but it is you know it works for you know as well as but you know just the popular clubs or whatever you know we've got popular search terms and stuff for various clubs yeah but if you're a Tramia Rovers fan or you're Forest Green Rovers then then you can add them oh in, yeah you know so um so so it works works across the board you know so um um and it just works really well for you know for for, for football fans love it it doesn't surprise me that you like it because whatever we try to with football fans they yeah. always love it you know and i think the key to it as well is local news yeah the, the local journalists always have the inside track on what's happening in any club. Mm. Not the national journalists, the local journalists, the people who deal with the club on a day-to-day basis. Though, so all the kind of rumours. And I notice you have certain, certain of your contributors have, you know, quite close relationships with certain guys. With you know, obviously they're not going to tell us who the sources are, but 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 they speak with some authority. When when somebody, look, how many times have we gone to these podcasts and people come up with ludicrous ideas that we were going to sign, <laughs> you know, and then and then you know, say um, I'm just trying to think, uh, Melissa Reddy, for instance, will often say, but she wouldn't use the term, but that's bollocks. <laughs> She's certainly using it off air. <laughs> breaks government's heart on a regular basis, to be honest with you. I'm mine at times. Come on, Mel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I've, I've been using it as well. And what I like about it is the fact that, you know, it's obviously the convenience of, of it. So not just all the stuff is there in the morning. So I might check it in the morning, see what's going on. But then the idea of saving stories to read them offline as well is useful because the, for yeah. some reason on the Merseyrail, for, for me in the morning, the... the the network's no good. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't Sounds know what it is mate. between. <laughs> I don't know what it is between Edgar and Michaels, but things seem to drop. But having the, you know, saving the story. So if you're on bus, train, whatever, or traveling, you know, it, it's kind of there for you, and, and that and that's quite a good thing as well. So it's been it's been good for me because we're all sorts of obviously we're we're obsessed with 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 Liverpool, but we're also busy. We've got other things going on. So having someone kind of doing the running around for you and saying these are the stories that are important, and you can. I've already got Stoke this. saved, <laughs> and you can download them and listen to. I would say download it and. and Listen to here, view it whenever you want. It's kind of useful for me, so so I, I have found it really useful. So I think people will like it, and I think people will get behind it. And you know, we want you to do that as well because it's good, but also because obviously you can hear from from Steve, 
he's a good fella and he's, and he's trying to do something in the right way and yeah it's, it's worth getting behind and the other arm of it is uh, so far a bubbler as well which does sort of does a full news thing I've got that as well being used yeah well, it's basically the same app it's just the kind of when you start off with Football Flash it actually if you're kind of you know your favourite football team whereas, whereas Bubbler, Bubbler doesn't but it all does the same thing so you use Football Flash, Flash in exactly the same way to search for genetic news you know, if you want to search for news on Brexit and kind of Donald Trump and all of this. In fact, we actually kind of, um, interestingly enough, we use, um, we use Donald Trump as our heartbeat, believe it or not. Go so, on. well, because, um, one of, one of the things, one of the things we found out pretty quickly with a news app is that is the second it stops working, the second you don't get any notifications coming through, then people think it's broken and you uninstall it. Right. So, so, so we set up this heartbeat solution whereby we check for Donald Trump stories every minute <laughs> and if a Donald Trump story doesn't turn up within a minute we know something's broken yeah because there always so, is yeah because there's always always something from him you know the okay. great orange one okay so. well thank you very much indeed for Steve for coming in and for Football Flash do check it out if you get the opportunity and Bubbler as well uh, both of them interesting really interesting project um, and we'll get back we'll get back over to the rest of the weekend Deadlines and Dart with Delhi, Jonathan Northcroft's book that he's on to talk about. And normally, I'd sort of shy away from doing a World Cup-y bits of england book, but two things happened. One, there was obviously the World Cup and the way it went and how it was different to a lot of them. And secondly, it's written by Jonathan Northcroft, so you know it's going to be good. But part of what informs the book, Jonathan, is the fact that it was different to normal. Not just from an England perspective, but I think that that's one of the core things you're putting over in the book, was, was the time that you got to spend with these footballers and the impact that sort of had on you you and it's not just a book that sort of does your world cup diary but it's really quite a bit quite an introspective book and it's almost as though you're taking the pulse of the industry a little bit and yourself in process is all that fair it is it is neil i mean it, i guess it didn't set out with any agenda whatsoever the book it, it started actually as a as a facebook diary as a blog um which was just a means of passing the time really in russia because you go away on these trips and you so it's like a big school trip. You're stuck with 20 journalists. You know, some of them are all right, some of them maybe not quite so much. Your, your pals, and, and you've got to fill the time. And um, started off, and that, that's like that. And and I guess I just started to write about the stuff that interests me. And and, and looking back at it, I, I, I didn't intend to write so much about journalism or being a journalist or being a football journalist in particular. But I guess I had all that sort of stuff that I've, I've wanted to talk about for years, and, and, and a lot of it came out in the in, in, in the diary, and then, then, of course, it's in the book itself. The fact that England were a bit different to normal and had this sort of, you know, more open relationship with the press, I guess maybe started me reflecting on, on our relationships with players and how we do the job. Uh, maybe it's what kicked it off, but I, I really enjoyed... Um, I think the things I enjoyed the most was writing about my industry and, and, and how we go about things. And um, I don't know, it's, it, it became a bit of a confessional at times, I suppose. Um, yeah, there's that. therapy on the road. There, no, there's a lovely little, uh, there, there, was, there was one one, one part I wanted to specifically pick out because it, it does deal with the title, which is Darts with Delhi. But you've also in there, mm. you've got this, you tell the story, uh, Day 18, where you you notice another reporter um, and Delhi Ali's coming out and, and, and um, 
his son, he speaks to his son, uh, and I think the story was reported a little bit at the time, maybe by you, uh, and they were chatting away, and he yeah. chatted to his 11-year-old son for a few minutes, and, and you, you end that sort of little mini anecdote saying, I'm telling you this because I think my pal will forever be rooting for Delhi now as a player. I will too because yeah. of our darts match and also what happened yesterday. And you go on to talk about your club being Aberdeen and your time you've spent in Liverpool, and it is, as I say, it isn't, you're not talking about England within this or anything like that. You're talking about the fact that when you're around these footballers at length as you were, it sort of reminds you, firstly, allegiances shift and change, but also you're dealing all the time with human beings, loads and loads of human beings, and you, you mentioned Carragher and Gerard Moyes, McAllister, mm. Matt McCann comes up, gets mentioned. You know, you, you talk yeah. about the fact that people who sometimes you, you're left separate to, you're left becoming friends with, and this is one of those instances, and that story is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's... I mean, first of all, with, with, with Delhi, I'll, I'll be quite honest. I didn't have a particularly positive view of him before the World Cup, before I got to meet him properly. Um, hadn't really dealt with him as a journalist. Um, I'd, I'd maybe just sort of seen him um, a, a, as a player with a bit, he could be a bit narky at times and, and you know, just wasn't sure if he was my cup of tea. And, and I had a completely different experience. First of all, there was a darts match, but, but then, you know, as you say, on day 18, thing I was writing about there, a friend of mine, Rob Draper, who works for the, the Mail on Sunday, was was outside the press conference just, just on the phone with his son, who, who you know, it, it, it's just a dad missing his son, son missing his dad, and he was on, on the phone to to his lad, who's 11, and, and Delhi Alley was, was sort of in the background waiting for a, a, a taxi back to the, the England hotel. And his son, they're FaceTiming each other, so his son was like, God, is that really Delhi Alley in the background? And... Um, and, and Rob was like, yeah, it is. And, uh, and someone was like, oh, that's just amazing. Oh, look, you, you actually know Delhi Alley. So, so Rob went over and, and sort of said, would you mind having a chat with my, my son? And yeah, Delhi Alley didn't have to even do more than sort of wave at the camera, but he ended up taking the phone and chatting to this lad about, you know, they played Fortnite and all the computer games they play together and just literally made Rob's day, probably made his son's World Cup it's sun summer and it, it's things like that I can never look at Delhi Alley the same again now I, I, I'll always remember the lad that I met and, and, and somebody that would do that for another human being and, and that really started me thinking about how we do the job and how we end up having all these kind of preconceptions that get shattered for good or bad when you meet footballers or, or managers or whatever and, and how it, it becomes quite complicated when you're kind of middle-aged like me and you've been doing it for 20 years there's so many different things going through your mind when you're watching a game uh you want players that you like to do well you want managers you like to do well but sometimes it might be someone like Matt McCann who I've known Matt since he was a, a you know a young press officer at Wigan just seemed this great lad who had a you know great story to tell blah 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 with Wigan and look where he's gone now and, and you always want you know I'd want Matt's club to do well whatever whatever he was pretty much um, and it becomes really complicated. And <laughs> you, you deal with fans who don't have your access and quite right, just making the same judgments that, 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 that you make yourself, like, like I made about Deli Alley. And it's kind of hard sometimes to explain without being cheesy, without saying, oh, I've, I've met this person and he's actually a nice guy. It sounds a bit lame, but that, that, that's, that's, that's how it happens for, for all of us. And, you know, you know the same. You know, you know, I, I, I remember speaking to you about Meeting Daniel Sturridge, the the, the the enjoyment you 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 got out of spending time with him, and and I bet I bet you want Daniel to do really well every time you see him on the 
on the pitch now, um, yeah. and you know, many other things. No, but that's how it is, isn't it? I didn't know it is how it is, and it, it's important. You know, you can't take the human out. And in fact, I think that one of the successes of the World Cup, from an England yeah. point of view, but I think it was it was happening before, and I think it crystallised the moment a little bit, and I think it's been happening since. Is I think that we're 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 beginning to find ways to get to know our footballers better again. I think that yeah. maybe ten years ago they were they were a little bit cosseted. There was the cotton wool thing. They lived away from us. All of that sort of thing. But I think now the footballers themselves are getting better. The clubs are getting better. Everyone's understanding better how we can we can yeah. know our footballers again. I think that's right, and I actually think it's a it's been a bit of a wake up call for traditional media because that's been led by players themselves and fans meeting on, on social media, meeting outside the traditional spaces and, and and starting to maybe get to know each other a little bit better. And, you know, there's so many good and bad things about social media, but I think one thing it, it means that there's nowhere to hide for people. Authenticity is really important. It's really important for for players to, to try and be who they are. And I, I think there's a generation now that, realise the benefits of doing that and England had a manager who realised the benefits of letting opening the doors letting the players tell their stories letting them you know like if it was Danny Rose talking about his depression or um, you know Cal Walker talking about his, his, his sort of family background in Sheffield whatever it was just getting letting people get to know them and, and make their own minds up and it was I mean England Camp at times was, it, you know, it was like, oh my God, you know, no more confessions, please. We've only got 600 words to write, but these lads were unburdening themselves and just trying to trying to be as open as possible. And um, I really think that's the way to go. And, and, and I contrast it with 2006, which was, you know, peak idiocy when it came to us in the press and maybe also football as an industry where we had the golden generation, the wags, the paparazzi, these guys, and their ivory towers. And, and as lads, we're talking about people like Stevie Gerrard and Carragher and the Nevilles. They weren't like that as lads. That's not how they actually wanted to be, but that's how that's how us and them ended up building the the, the, the relationship. And, that, and that, that's where it was at the time. So much more pleasant being part of, of, of where we are today. Um, and I think it's better for the players as well as, you know, for us in the media and for fans. I think there's, there's there's loads in the book. Uh, there's absolutely loads of loads of bits and pieces in the book. You're very close to chart and messy, and there's there's a wonderful almost hymn to, to to the goal he scores during the World Cup that you got dropped in there that you saw in person, and yeah. you, you you make the part of the hymn, part of the 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 the, the, the praise that you, you you put in there in the chapter. You know you've done all the little bits around it, but you talk about the idea of being there that. There's some things that you get mm. to see at the time in a football match that, you know, I'll never forget the the four goals Suarez scored against Norwich, where yeah. you know, there were four absolutely outrageous things to see. And 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 I, I remember rushing back afterwards to watch them again on Match of the Day, and I'm really pleased I did that. But the thing I remember is the visceral thing of being in the ground. And you, you're yeah. talking about that goal, that first touch from Messi in St. Petersburg, mm. and you've got a chapter on that. And it very much is, you know, to live these things in real time is something which, no matter where you sit in the ground, can absolutely take your breath away. Yeah, I'll, I'll never, I'll never ever get it out of my mind. I'll never, I, I'll be able to picture that moment um, till the day I die. I know that, and, and and that's what you get from being being at a football match. And you see a great goal on TV, and you might remember the goal, but you'll never remember where you were, how you felt when you first saw it. It'll never be part of you in the way that witnessing live football becomes part of you. And I guess that's one of the things that. Um, 
you know, I've always kind of been been on my mind because as, as a football match supporter, you're, you're at games, you don't see as much as some of the people back home because you're not getting all the replays and angles, yeah. but you're seeing more in another way. Um, and that's why I still think you, you'd, you'd always listen to the fan that's been to a game ahead of the fan that's watched it on TV just because, and I know that's, that's you know, not all fans can get to games, particularly in this day and age, but if you've been in the game, you've lived the match to experience and you've, you've seen it, it's just something different. I mean, just that, that, that messy goal, um, I think you had to see the speed of the game. You had to see the, you had to feel the tension of, of the point that, that, that we were in that game where Argentina needed to win. They started badly. They were outplayed by Nigeria. Yeah, the angle of the run, just getting a sense of, of how perfect the touch of the thigh was to, to tame the ball. I, I, I think you could only see that live. And, and and the perfection of the shot, again, I just don't think that comes across on TV. And the best pass I've ever seen in my life was also played by Messi in 2014. And now, now the best goal as well. So... Um, Oh, what a privilege to, to to have been there, and I will remember that forever. You work right the way through. It's 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 ideas. It's it's little mini essays. It's it ends up with a team of the tournament uh, that gets dropped in as well. And uh, the other, the last little thing on this is, you know, you mentioned social media before from the footballers' point of view, but I sort mm. of get the impression reading the book, there's a lot of you enjoying having space to write rather than the idea of, you know, mm. there's, there's huge disp- discrepancies in the length of the chapters, for instance, yeah. you know, so, and, but that's part of, that's, I think, one of the things that comes through in the idea that it's a diary. You're very much enjoying having the space to write rather than the idea that, you know, it says yeah. deadlines at the front, but the idea of, right, Jonathan, we need 800 words. We need it by this time. Absolutely. Do the best you can. Is that fair? Totally. I mean, it, it, you know, when, when, when you write for newspapers, it's a brilliant platform, but it's a very... Um, Sort of preordained and, and formulate platform in a way, and, and and you have to hit deadlines. You have to hit word counts. And what was nice was um, sitting down and yeah, maybe something's only worth a hundred words of an idea. Some, maybe something you want to ramble on for fifteen hundred words. Um, and and it was having the freedom to do that. It was having the freedom to maybe be a bit more informal and, and not think, oh, I have to put this in Sunday Times language, but but just write. Because I was writing, you know, writing almost just for friends because that's who was reading it on my Facebook page, primarily, um, and and it was it was just a different different thing. Do end up doing forty thousand words, um, in in addition to what I was doing for the paper. And if you told me I was going to have to do forty thousand words <laughs> in addition to, I'd have I'd have phoned the HR department. I'd have I'd have I'd have had the union involved. No chance. But it was it was just pleasurable. It was just really enjoyable and. Uh, um, part of, I guess, what was a, I didn't expect anything much going into Russia, and it became part of the unexpected pleasure of the, the tournament, I suppose. Right, well, it's out now on Backpage Press. It is darts and, de- de- sorry, deadlines and darts with Delhi. I've got it in front of me. She'll be able to read that. Uh, other unexpected <laughs> tales along with, with with what England were up to. Uh, it's a fantastically rich book. It is very much worth reading. And it's excellent for Christmas as well. Uh, don't say you haven't been warned. Christmas is indeed on the horizon. So Backpage Press and available from all the obvious places. It's Jonathan Northcroft's Deadlines and Darts with Delhi. Get hold of a copy. 
Great to speak to Jonathan there, and I'll be speaking to him more uh, at the, su- the something called the Supermarket Supplement at Handyman Supermarket uh, in, on Smithdown Road uh, on November the 22nd, 8pm. It's a Derby special in that we've got Phil Kirkbride, Greg O'Keefe, James Pierce, and Jonathan himself. It's in aid of opening up cricket, uh, so I'll be hosting it, uh, hosting it into the grounds, curating it even, uh, and I wanted to get into some interesting stuff around the way journalists operate as well as I just discussed with Jonathan there. So if you, if you are around, uh, please do get down to the Supermarket Supplement at Handy Man Supermarket Limited. Uh, we will be doing that from 8 p.m. on Thursday, November the 22nd. If you go to Opening Up Cricket, uh, Opening Up CC, uh, you'll be able to buy tickets through their link there. Uh, thank you very much indeed. You want to talk to me about Christmas? I do. Okay. It's, it's coming up. I don't know if you've seen. It is. It is indeed coming up uh, on the rails. Uh, Christmas is Christmas is happening. Christmas is happening. Um, I'm I very year to year how good I am at buying Christmas presents but not in terms of like quality but in terms of preparation I'm yeah. talking so some years I can be like almost done by the end of November and then other years I'm more than near like consent approach which is a uh, spend three hours on Christmas Eve running around and that includes stopping for three pints that was good stopping for three pints. Uh, I'm very good at that. I mean, I'm very good at stopping for three pints. I mean, I'm quite good at the running around, but I'm very good at like what I love to do is like establish a base yeah. with people. I like so I'll sort of position people somewhere and go right. Can you just hold the stuff? And what I'll do is I'll like get everything I need in one run. Yeah, I have a pint. Leave it with you. Yeah, go and do the next load. Leave more stuff with you. Have a pint. <laughs> go and do the next load. Hopefully, be done. Let's have a few pints. It's easiness. <laughs> uh, well, if you're if you're uh, if you don't want the Neil Lackett to Christmas Eve and you want to get sorted, uh, we are talking about Lord timepieces today. Uh, Lord uh, have sponsored us this segment in the past, and we appreciate it. But um, they've come back on board to get you ready in time for Christmas. So Lord do watches, and they also do watches that look more expensive than they are, and that's something else I look for in a Christmas present. <laughs> that's something the most I look forward for. Yeah. I'm honestly, I'm on websites going, uh, can I have price low to high? But if they'll do discount high to low, I'm like, <laughs> oh, now we're on. Yeah. So if you want, if you want to buy a watch for someone and you want it to look more expensive than it are, than it is, uh, I can recommend Lord, Lord timepieces. It's a London-based fashion brand, uh, which you do. It Affordable watches for reasonable prices and free shipping as well, which is good. And it's prices start from 60 there's, quid. There's one on the website. I've got the website open here, John. So if you go to lordtimepieces.com forward slash wrap, they actually have our branding on, which is pretty exciting. And they're giving a 15%. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I am easily pleased, by the way. But I, I was like, oh, that's flash, isn't it? I was like, what's flash? They stuck our logo on our webpage. And that goes in. Yeah, it's invited uh, to the Christmas party. Honestly, can, I, uh, can they get a, can they get a, like a roving picture of my head to come on this as well? It's on the business. Looks fun, doesn't it look great? Sorry, yeah, it does look good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, look at that. So, they'll do your 15% off a discount uh, if you put the discount code RAP in when it comes to that. So, and it says, Hey, the Anfield Rap fans, and that, that that's you, uh, listeners. <laughs> listeners, yeah. But also, there's one on there if you want to know about a discount, there's one that's been reduced from 149 to 90. Yeah, looks the part, it's called Chrono Black, and then you get our 15% discount as well. And I just reckon you're absolutely laughing your head off with that. If so, if, if, if Neil's mum's listening, uh, that's that's kind of a decent <laughs> present. For I they sent us a watch, and it's Sort of sat here for a bit, and I've nicked it now. I, was it you? Yeah, it was me. I, I, thought, I was wondering who daddy. Do you know what? Because so many admiring glances. It, it did get a lot of admiring glances, and there's a few few people involved in the rap who were into the watches, and, and everyone who's who seen it said, said that they liked it, and it just sort of, you know, when it got, I think it got to six weeks, and I thought, oh, sorry, then I'm having it, and I had something on that. I night. was wondering who had it. Yeah, I've got it. It's an ass. <laughs> you went, you went top of my list. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's it was. I'm normally such a team player, but um, yeah, leaders do not eat last in this situation. <laughs> leaders check the time first. 
<laughs> so yeah, so I've got it in an arse. So uh, yeah, I'll wear it on the Christmas night out that Lord had invited to. It's like, it's like when that, 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 that lovely fella sends, sends all the records and books for us and I just keep them all in ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's like a, that. It's that similar thing. We've all got we've all got our perks and, 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 that, and mine's to watch. But if you, I'm sure they'll send us another one if you ask nicely. But but yeah, no, but generally it looks like the one I've got sort of looks like a two, three hundred quid watch, but it's much, much cheaper. So if you're into that and you want to get some Christmas presents for men or women in your life, uh, lordtimepieces.com forward slash wrap for that discount code and yeah they are genuinely very good and thanks to them for continuing to support what we do thanks neil it is john gibbons and i'm joined by andy andy kelly now who's uh, obviously a journalist and also host of our wants to watch podcast um and i just want to do a quick sort of summary of where everyone's up to obviously people want to listen to andy's full shows of the you need to subscribe to Tour Player and, and listen to it through there. But um, just to sort of quick round up, really, AK, and I guess start with the under 18s because they're the fun guys, aren't they? They can't stop scoring. Can't stop scoring, mate. 10 wins on the trot. And uh, I'm not sure since you and I have been talking about the academy teams for a long time. And I can't remember any of the sides going 10 wins on the trot. Really can't. Uh, Barry Lutus, the manager, has done a terrific job since he took over from Stephen Gerrard uh, uh, at the start of the season. They are one point off the top of the league, the 18s, with a game in hand on Everton, who they um, they just recently beat 4-3 with a last-minute winner uh, up at the academy. Terrific game. Two very good teams, actually, both of them. And uh, so the 18s are doing terrifically well. And then they're sort of their subsection team, the under-19s who play in the UEFA Youth League, which is pretty much the 18s yeah. with a couple of the other lads. They, uh, they've... Obviously, had two victories against Red Star Belgrade. Their games mirror the first teams, and that so that's ten out of twelve in the group. And they're uh, definitely through to the next round of the UEFA Youth League now. And if they avoid defeat in Paris in a, in, a, in a couple of uh, you know probably ten days, is it? Um, they will uh, top the group, and that will take them straight into the last sixteen. And uh, then it gets exciting because if you remember last season, Gerard's team got Man United in the last sixteen and beat them. Uh, and we're unlucky to go out to City on penalties in, yep. in the quarterfinals. So everything going great for the 18s, and at and it's at its heart to answer your question is these two strikers yep. that they've got, mate, aren't they? And um, uh, Paul Glatzel, who's the captain of the team, he's on now on 12 goals for the season. And Bobby Duncan, Stephen Gerrard's cousin, uh, he's probably sick of that following every mention <laughs> of him, uh, is on 11. And they're, they're, they're just a terrific uh, strike force. They're not necessarily a partnership, John, in the sense that, you know, it's not a sort of big man, little man sort of thing. Or, you know, they, they're both just players who know where the goal is. And uh, Barry Luters obviously just wants them both in his team. And they're, they're playing really well. Um, their latest game on Saturday was against Reading uh, at home in the Premier League Cup. And uh, they won 6 0. Uh, Glatzel starts the game and gets the first two goals. Duncan comes off the bench, scores with his first touch, scores another, almost has three and four, um, you know, as a substitute. So um, they're both doing terrifically well. They match each other really well. Duncan's left footed. Uh, Glatzel plays foot on the on the right side of the two, and uh, they're really thrilling. People who are going to see the eighteens and uh, can't recommend enough people to get along and and see them. Yeah, and as we always do, do get down to the academy and watch the games. are completely free. You just need to sort of walk in and go down and support them. And there's a there's a nice little new stand there as well. Yeah, you can have a seat. And I, I would say to people, remember to take some ID. I'm not quite sure why, but you have to show some photo ID when you go through. Now that's just automatic, but uh, you'd hate to go up there and then not get in. Of course. Um, 
I mean, Bobby Duncan, if he, if he scores any more, then Steven Gerrard might be referred to as Bobby Duncan's cousin, <laughs> cousin of course. They've, they've had to wait a little bit of time to get him, having the AK, but it looks like it's been worth it, both for the club and for the player. Yeah, I mean, he virtually missed most of last season because he decided not to sign the contract at Man City. They didn't want him to go, and uh, he wanted to come to Liverpool. Um, there was He had to wait for that. Obviously, Liverpool couldn't take <coughs> academy players because of that uh, ban that they got um, for tapping up uh, for the, the lad from Stoke. Um, so um, they had to wait for for Duncan. He's come in. He, he ends up scoring a last minute winner against Man City and gave it the uh, the sh to their, their <laughs> bench. He obviously had been getting some stick from some of their bench during the game. So yeah, he's he's he, he, he's a lad who really knows where the goal is. He scores all sorts of goals. Scored a header against Everton. Uh, scored with, as I say with his first touch on Saturday. Um, his left foot is his big weapon. Um, his key for him is going to be uh, he's not blessed with lightning pace and uh, whether when he moves up through the levels that ability to get away and find space which if you've got pace you know it's worth so much he's not slow but it's just that you know you would look at him and say he's he's not necessarily a, a very uh, uh, you know piercey striker and so uh, that's going to be his big challenge to be able to self make him effective as he goes through the age groups um, against stronger quick uh, defenders and being able to find space and then his ability to finish will come into its own. Yeah, I mean this under-18s team generally it's 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 funny with academy f- football isn't it because it's it's sort of years of hard work which gets you to this point and I know there was a general feeling in, in Merseyside and you know generally at the academy that maybe about 10 years ago that they fall in a little bit behind Everton for one reason or another and the improvements that, that, that have been made that the the improvements in recruitment, the improvements in well, 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 throughout the club, really. The problem is, if you do it in the first team, you notice it in six months. If you do it in the academy, you might only notice it in six years, can't you? But the fact that Liverpool, as you say, are are ten wins in a row at this level, the you know the fact that I mean, we should be proud that really that them and Everton are at the top. But it's it is years of hard work to get you to a to to the stage, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And you know, we've seen you know you see when. You know when players come through. I mean, what I think Trent started at Liverpool when he was eight, didn't he, or something like that? Maybe even younger. So, um, you know, and you might know as an academy coach, yeah, we've got some real talent coming through, but people always want it yesterday, don't they? Yeah. But you cannot rush it because if you, the worst thing you can do is rush a young player through and you know ruin his confidence, potentially open him up to injury. You've got to decide when is the right time and you know it can be you know you can unleash them quite young you know we've now got used to Trent being an established first team player which is what the academy have always wanted you know they don't want players just getting a couple of games or whatever they want them playing as Alex Inglethorpe always says 200 games for the club and you know Trent's now we regard him as the Liverpool right back Um, fantastic now we need we're obviously looking for the next one to come through and um, you know those things are you know Trent's only 20 and um, so it is all about choosing your moment. Some of them are out on loan, we know, doing well. Potentially, we'll either come back, play at Liverpool, or Liverpool can cash in and get a good bit of money. Uh, the academy can wipe its face, pay for itself, and potentially then bring forward another one or two players. You only, you don't get, you know, rarely do you ever really get loads coming through. You just, you know, if you can get one through in a year to the first time, you've saved the first team, you know, millions upon millions. And you know you've you've developed generally a young local player because that's what you know we have players from all over the world, but a lot of them are local lads. And if you can get one through, it's just thrilling, isn't it? So if I had to uh, ask you to sort of 
pick one who you think's the most likely. You know, you can pick two or three if you, if you want. If you want to sort of hedge your bets, but you know, who who's the most likely to sort of be the next Trent Alexander Arnold? If you like. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Um, they've, they've obviously we've spoken about the strikers. Um, you know, Glatzel's definitely got a chance. Uh, I think um, they have a terrific fullback at the moment who's just establishing himself. Really, the, uh, this lad Hoover came from Ajax, and uh, he's starting to really impress. And of course, sometimes you know it depends. Sometimes it depends on the luck of where the manager needs someone in a certain position. Fullback can be a way of getting getting in. And you know he looks to have everything. Strong lad, quick. He's got a pass on him. Was particularly uh, impressive in the win against Everton. Uh, Hoover. So it'll be interesting to see him for the rest of the season. And the lad on the other side, uh, Yasser Larucci, a lad they picked up from Le Havre, and um, he has been uh, playing on the wing and got converted to a fullback this season. Really quick, starting to do really well. And uh, was interestingly named in one of the top 60 European prospects by uh, the Guardian this season. So um, he's clearly uh, a few people are taking notice of him, and I think it's been a good move to move him to uh, to full back. But really, you could pick another three or four. You know, uh, from the 18s, um, you know, Leighton Clarkson scored a terrific free kick uh, against Everton. He's um, he, he's a holding midfielder who's impressing. And uh, yeah, there's quite quite a few in that side. The two centre halves have done very well. Tom Clayton and Reese Williams. They're an established partnership now. Both got good size about them, and um, uh, particularly Reese Williams, you know, really tall lad. So it'll be interesting to see how they develop. But there's no hurry for them, John. I think you know, let them see how they, how they go this season, and uh, you know, they'll then probably proceed through to the 23s, who are having a bit more of a difficult season, and it can often be a difficult team to play in that. Yeah, we'll just do a minute or two on the 23s before we finish up. And as you say, it's a difficult team to play in. It's a difficult one to look too much into the results, isn't it? But there's a a couple of players that there's high hopes for. Obviously, Curtis Jones, people will, will know. Um, maybe Adam Lewis, who's a little bit less well-known, but is, is certainly very talented. In, in particular, how are those two getting on at the moment? Yeah, Curtis is he's interesting because he, he's... Um, for instance, that he played the uh, he plays for the 23s, but also was young enough to play for that UEFA Youth League team. And against Red Star Belgrade, particularly in the home game, he absolutely yeah, ran it was excellent, show. Yeah. He was brilliant. And uh, so he's having really good games at that, with the 23s. Um, it's not quite happening for them. They're struggling really to find someone to put the ball in the net. And um, you know, he's 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 creative, Curtis, but he's not really been able to sort of add many particular goals and assists there. So, you know, he'll want to improve that as the season goes on. Um, Adam Lewis scored a terrific free kick over in Belgrade um, to make it 2-0 and collect the points over there for the UEFA Youth League team. He's away with the England under-20 squad uh, at the moment. They'll play um, some uh, a game on uh, next week. So, um, you know, he's moving through the England levels, uh, Adam Lewis. And interestingly, he generally plays left-back uh, for us, but has been picked by England as a midfielder, which, okay. is, uh, which is interesting. That he, he has generally, he did start his career more as a sort of 10 attacking midfielder. It's a really versatile player and someone that you could imagine that if he could progress through to the first team, he'd be really valuable because he could slot into lots of different places for you. Adam, another, he's a, a young Liverpoolian lad, so um, 
Um, yeah, loads of talent coming through. 23s haven't really been getting the results. They've had a few lads there who are sort of waiting on loans, uh, so a couple of lads coming through from the 18s. Uh, and, you know, just, you know, Dom Slanky's dropped down a couple of times to play for them, but not regular. Uh, they're still waiting on Rian Brewster to come back to be probably the main striker. Yeah. So um, it's been a difficult one for Neil Critchley's side, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing okay. Um, but, you know, really the sort of, it's the 18s who are really flying the flag for the academy this season so far and um you know they're a terrific side to watch terrific side to watch do go down and try and support them if you can all the fixtures are always on the lfc websites of course um and there's lots more of this on on ak show now it is ak show one to watch on it on tour player on our subscription service so there's loads more of that obviously a lot more details in terms of the games for the 18s 23s and the 19s and i know you also get stuck into the lads out on loan and see what they're doing as well so do try and uh, support that but in the meantime i'm going back to nick thank you very much john there speaking to andy kelly so it's been a pretty packed show we've had uh, right the way through we've had Steve Morris Kieran Maguire we've had Jonathan Northcroft Andy Kelly last week Kiever O'Neill John Gibbons and most Stewart's all right up the front there uh, been loads and loads going on this week on the weekend I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we did pulling it together for you no it's an international weekend so we wanted to be a little bit different uh, have a great weekend whatever you're up to take it easy and I'll say again if you can vote for the Anfield Wrap the Anfieldwrap.com forward slash vote for the FSF award thank you very much Podcast Network.